either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, after a somewhat quiet couple of weeks, it's not quiet anymore. No. Got a few movies to talk about this week. Wide releases, smaller releases. We'll hit them all. And, of course, uh, go to the lobby for the home video stuff as well. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start with the story of Dora, now a teenage explorer, leading her friends on an adventure to save her parents and solve the mystery behind a lost city of gold. It's Dora and the Lost City of Gold. We're on to something big, Dora. An ancient city made of gold. Parapata. And your mother and I are going to prove it. And me. I'm sorry, sweetie, you're not going. What? Being in the city around kids your own age, like Diego, might help. Cousin Diego, you're so skinny and tall. You are way more energetic than I remember. Dora, this isn't the jungle. It's high school. It's life or death. Where did you transfer from? The jungle. Hola, Dora. Let me go! You'll help us find your parents and the lost city of gold. Where are we? All I see is jungle. Come with me if you want to live. I have to keep going no matter what. Well, we missed out on this show because when it was a hit for kids, our son was already... It still is a hit for kids. Is it really? Yeah. Is it still on? Yeah, it's a a recent show, yeah. All right. Well, our son was a little bit too old when he came along, but... uh, (laughs) It became a phenomenon, and the one thing that caught my eye when I saw that they were doing this movie is who they got to play Dora, because Isabella Monaire is a good young actress. Yeah, she is. She's very good. You might have seen her in uh, Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. And then she was very good in Instant Family, yeah. which is not a great movie, but it's not bad. Yeah. And she is really good. So anyway, she's got talent. And, and she's from Cleveland. And she is from Cleveland, so we love that. Uh, the land. Uh, and she is Dora, and Dora is a little older now. Yeah, so, I mean, it starts... At, with little girl Dora and little boy Diego, and they're in the jungle exploring. But then Diego's <laughs> parents move to the big city. And uh, and, uh, and then we fast forward 10 years, and Dora is still in the jungle with her parents, but her parents need to go on their own adventure, and they need to send Dora to go stay with Diego and family for a few for a few months. Yeah, and her parents are played by Eva Longoria and Michael Payne. Yeah, so, so very, very yeah, funny. Yeah, so that's them. fun, too. So it, it's a fun transition. So during the bulk of the film, uh, Dora is a 16-year-old, and uh, she's exactly like Dora only at 16, <laughs> and so that's part of the fun is that you introduce that character to high school. Yeah, you know what? It reminded me of the Brady Bunch, the way the Brady sure. Bunch movie did the 70s in, at the what, what, what was at the time, present day. Yeah, right. They had fun with that. It reminded me of that. Yeah, this is, it's, you know, she, she stops and defines things directly to the camera. <laughs> People look around yeah. like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. She turns everything into a song, and as you might imagine, she's, she's not super popular. Uh, and uh, and she's kind of a problem for poor Diego, who has grown up in the regular school system of L.A. And... Yeah, and he's played by Jeff Wahlberg. Right, is Mark yes, Wahlberg's nephew. There is a relation there, yeah. yeah, Mark Wahlberg's nephew. So, yeah, so they have some fun with the high school thing. And they that's, do. That's what the movie kind of does. It has the adventure part yep. and then the high school part. Yeah, and the the idea there is is you just, no matter what a nightmare high school is, just try to be yourself. That's what Dora does. But then uh, she and a couple of other misfits are kidnapped uh, from a field trip because 
uh, Dora's parents may have stumbled upon the city of gold mm-hmm. and and some mercenaries want Dora to help them track the parents down so that they can get the gold. Right. And, you know, that's where hijinks ensue. And that's where we get to see Boots again. Dora's Dora's monkey mm-hmm. is back in action. And then uh, um, Swiper, yeah. the fox that swipes things. And guess who uh, is is voicing that? Uh, That's character. right, Soldado co-star Benicio del Toro, yeah. which is pretty funny. That's yeah, that funny. Is. Yeah, it's fun. You know, I mean, it's not if you're thinking to yourself, Dora the Explorer. I've got to take four year olds to it. No, I mean, I think it will appeal to little kids. It'll appeal to older children as well. And it's you know, it's perfectly enjoyable for an adult. I, yeah. I, I, I was there's some wink, charmed. wink, cheeky fun. Yeah, especially if they if if you're a parent who has seen the show with their younger child. Yes. You will appreciate that. And, of course, they've got the backpack fun in there, yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think that's the thing that most people ask me more than anything about seeing this movie. Oh, is the backpack yeah. stuff? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so rest easy. But, yeah, I think people will find that it's perfectly fun and enjoyable. Yeah, it's a, it's a very sweet family film. And that is Dora and the Lost City of Gold. The next one, not really for all the family. A little scary, a little creepy here. A group of teens face their fears in order to save their lives. Scary stories to tell in the dark. Do you want to see Haunted House? Some kids went missing, so they boarded it up. Okay, we saw it. Should we go now? Who ordered the chicken? What's that? It's a book of scary stories. Hey, what's going on? Tommy's missing. Tommy's name was in the book. There's no way it's actually connected, right? Okay, what if what happens in the book is exactly what's happened for real? Oh my god. Auntie! Stella! Listen, you're in the next story. We're reading it right here. It's a corpse looking for her missing toe. Now, this, of course, comes from the series of books that were popular in the 80s and into the 90s mm-hmm. that had a bunch of scary stories, yeah. sort of like campfire-type exactly. stories. But what was great about the books, even more so, really, even more creepy, were the illustrations. Oh, you're not lying, man. Stephen Gamble, he pen and ink drawings, one per story. And the stories, you know, there, there are three books. They, they compile, you know, maybe 15, 20 stories apiece. Just two, three-page stories, nothing long. Like you said, campfire tales, and Stephen Gamble would illustrate each one with just one pen and ink drawing, and they were absolutely terrifying. And that's really, I think, what made the books as popular as they were. Um, and the movie, which is directed by Andre Avradol mm-hmm. of, of Troll Hunter and uh, Di- uh, the, the, the Autopsy of Jane, of Jane Doe. Doe, which is a pretty solid little horror movie yeah. if you haven't seen it. Yeah, both of those are great. Well, Troll Hunter, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And then uh, it was produced and co-written by Guillermo del Toro. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> and it's what what is clear uh, about the film is the the sort of filmmaker's affection for the source material, mm-hmm. including, importantly, the illustrations. Oh, yeah. So they nail those illustrations with, you know, a couple of the characters that come into the, And that just gives the movie such... A great nightmarish quality. Now, this is a PG-13 film, and it really is, truly, it's aimed at that same market that those books were aimed at. So basically like seventh graders, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. I think that it's going to appeal to adults like the two of us with that nostalgia factor. We read them. We were frightened by them. We loved them. And it's it's very, very true to the, the... you know, atmosphere and tone and tenor of those books. Yeah, and you talk about the look of it. All you have to do is 
Look, not even the trailer. Just look at some of the stills. Exactly. If you Google some of the images from it, they're fantastic. Oh, they are. They are so great. The set design, the direction, it's nostalgic, not just for the, the stories, the books themselves, but it's set in 1968, mm-hmm. uh, right as, uh, in Halloween. So the end of October, right before Nixon is about to win the election, and that's that's on all the TV screens. And it's you know there's uh, recruitment offices you know on the in the small town. It, it's about the end of innocence, mm-hmm. and so they set that up in the time period, and they set that up with the 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 characters. And and it's funny, there is nothing original about this movie. But that's intentional because the stories of the books, they weren't originals. He called them and, and rewrote them. But, I mean, the, the idea is that, same with the stories, they tap into your primal, childish nightmares. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is trying to do. And it works really well for a long time. So four teens, they break into the spooky old house on Halloween night. And they come across this book of stories. And then the stories start to write themselves. Uh, and and they're they're the tales that you you're used to. They they pull four of of Alvin Schwartz's stories to which I like. Yes. I like that. I oh, really they do absolutely because had to. a lot of a lot of movies might have said, "Well, we're going to make our own." No, use some. That was that was one of the complaints I had, and, and you know where I'm going to go. I do know where you're going with this. Okay, just where am I going? You're going to Flintstones. That's right. <laughs> Because Why didn't they just use one of the that's cartoon right. stories? I love the Flintstones. Yes, and you do. When they made that first Flintstone movie, it disappointed me, and I just thought, why didn't you just use one of those classic Flintstone episodes? <laughs> Maybe the one, the two part. I was gonna say when, when Pebble, because you've heard me make this argument ad nauseum. Uh, maybe the two parter when Pebbles was born you know, to right. make it a feature film. Anyway, <laughs> so I appreciated that with my Flintstone anger still fresh <laughs> after these low many years that uh, that they used one because yeah. why not? There's no good reason not to. No, it would really it would have been crazy not to. And they, I think they chose wisely. They picked some of the the really iconic stories and I think the only real problem with the film is is that you know by the end you know by the read your story essay you know what I mean by the end you're like this is a little bit too trope heavy yeah but the the performances are very solid again the the set direction the design is just glorious and so in keeping with the books if you loved the books as a kid but here's another thing though to keep in mind yeah this is not for your Eight-year-old. I mean, it it, it is. It's a scary movie. Pay attention to that PG-13. Yeah, it's a scary movie. And just like the books, I mean, it will give your younger children nightmares. So that is scary stories to tell in the dark. You want trope heavy? Let's go to the next one. (laughs) And the next one follows the wives of New York gangsters in Hell's Kitchen in the 1970s. And they continue to operate their husband's rackets after they're locked up in prison. It's The Kitchen. Our husbands have 24 months left on their sentences. This is the Irish mob, organized crime. We're gonna take care of you. You girls are gonna be just fine. We got no money. Can't even make the rent with what they gave me last night. They didn't want me in the family in the first place. They have been telling us forever that we are never gonna do anything but have babies. Bunch of men that have forgotten what family means. So we remind them. You're pretty mama. Pretty doesn't matter, it's just a tool women use. What? Anything we want. All the tropes. Give me all the tropes <laughs> of uh, 70s gangster films. This one, you know what? It, it's. I think the movie's enjoyable, at least for me, for us, in spite of itself. Exactly. Because, boy, it, it doesn't do everything right at, at all. But um, it takes this vibe, this unabashed, unapologetic 
70s exploitation yes. movie. Yes, no style, as you mentioned. There's no style. There's no nuance. It's just here. <laughs> all, I mean, all in your face. And the one thing we both talked about uh, driving home from this movie was how it would have just been DOA without this cast. Uh, and it, it is hard to grasp how they got this cast. So you have a uh, two-time Oscar nominee, uh, Melissa McCarthy, and uh, Tiffany Haddish, it girl in everything. Tiffany Haddish, you have Elizabeth Moss, who's glorious in every single thing she ever does. But even in the supporting cast, right? Donald Gleason, um Margot Martindale. Oh, yeah. Common, of yeah. course. Because <laughs> it is a movie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great ensemble. And yeah, this is now this is based on a series of comic, comic books, books that we weren't aware of. No. Uh, but so I don't know. Maybe they love the source material or maybe they really bought in to the vision that the director uh, brought to the project. Director is Andrea Burloff. She's a veteran writer. I think her, her best credit, most impressive credit is writing Straight Outta Compton. Right, right. Movie that uh, we enjoyed very much. So... But it's just, yeah, all the gangster tropes and such a 70s, as you mentioned, exploitation vibe. And they just wallow in it. They, they really just do. do. This is what we're doing. Right. Uh, and, we're, and, and I think it's funny. When you first saw maybe the poster for it or something, you see not only Melissa McCarthy, who's done her share of drama, but Tiffany Haddish, who has not. And you think to yourself, and, and of course, Elizabeth Monster can do anything. You you might have thought as I did the first time you saw a poster. Is this a comedy? It is not. No, it is not. No, no. It's, it's very much an R. Oh yes, very much an R. But M- McCarthy, you're right. We're such fans. Oh, she's huge. so good. Anybody that has doubted her range, I don't know where you've been, but uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, she's she's great. Every, the, the ensemble, as we mentioned, is so good. But right from the jump, I mean, the the idea that these three women take over the rackets in Hell's Kitchen that comes much too easily. Yeah, so in what this happens story. is that after a botched robbery, their husbands are uh, incarcerated right. and they have to find some way of paying the bills until they get back out and they're just like, "Well, you know what? I don't think the family is doing this that well. Let's just do it ourselves." Yeah. And it is. It's like, "Wow, that sure was easy. <laughs> I don't sure know was. why nobody else tried to take yeah. over the mob, you know, and in their, Hell's Kitchen." Their character backstories, their character development is is comes much too quickly, you know. Okay, we got to pigeonhole her as the smart one, her as the meek one, her as the sassy one. Right. You know, that that is so it's it's so uh, a cliched type of of uh, character development, so they just get all out of the way, get that all out of the way, much too quickly. But then they settle into this vibe, and then when uh, Damal Gleeson yeah. comes in, yeah. he plays this smitten psycho, yeah. who's uh, all about Elizabeth Moss, and their scenes together are great. Oh my God, there's, I, I mean, it, they elevate everything. I wanted so much because Elizabeth Moss, again, I, I'm a pretty unabashed fan. She's so good in this. She's so good as the as she's a battered wife. She's so mm-hmm. good as the meek, terrified one, and she's so good as her character arcs toward this. This psychopath, that, yeah. you know, and how much she really kind of enjoys it. I mean, it's it's darkly yeah. funny and yeah, actually quite sweet. Yeah, and it goes in a. I will. Give and Daryl, cra- he's a little hot in this, isn't he? <laughs> I've not ever thought of that before. Of that gangly, pasty redhead. But no, he he looks. He's it's a different character okay. for him. I think we both like that. Yeah, I did like that. I didn't. I didn't measure his hot scale, <laughs> but um, and I didn't feel. I didn't feel that from you. But all right. But yeah, it is a different character for him, which is nice because he's very talented. But. It goes, I will give it credit for a couple of surprises in the third act um, that I didn't see coming. And important ones. I mean, really smart, good thinking. Yeah, important ones. But it's, they definitely make some some character missteps. But uh, as I said in my uh, written review at madwolf.com, you know the old phrase from the A-Team, I love it when a plan comes together. (laughs) Well, this is, this is, I love it when a movie makes some mistakes, but kind of, sort of comes together. (laughs) If that's, if that's. What'd you say today on TV? It's not Goodfellas, it's the not so Goodfellas. 
fellas. <laughs> no, it's it's pretty good. They're fellas. pretty good fellas. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's pretty good fellas because I'm looking at some of the national reviews uh, for. Well, I shouldn't. We're national. We are. Uh, the other reviews our other respected colleagues. And boy, this is getting a lot of really savage reviews, which I I don't agree with. I can kind of see why people might be watching it and never recover from the opening and and don't really go with it. But uh, I am seeing a lot of others that that feel the way we do. So if you you see like an aggregate score that's just horrible, no, it's it's not really. And uh, if if you're like us, you find something to enjoy. In the Kitchen. Next one is a somewhat limited release. It's set deep in the wilds of Appalachia, where believers handle death-dealing snakes to prove themselves before God. It tells the story of a pastor's daughter who holds a secret that threatens to tear her community apart. It's called Them That Follow. Who you choose, girl, chooses your whole life. My daughter has turned into a fine girl, and a good man has asked for her hand. When the devil creeps in, you need someone to see the truth even when you don't. Now you got a choice you got to make. I couldn't find my way to the truth of it. She ain't listening to the spirit. The serpent will purify you. The serpent will cleanse you. Come on. Come on and get clean. Well, here's another one we were really looking we forward were. to. We were. We were looking forward to this one because, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people, a few people anyway, looked at the trailer and thought horror movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not. No? It is not a horror movie. It's 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 a, it's tense it uh, is. thriller, I think, yep. but it's it's yep. really an indie drama and it's it's incredibly well developed. Uh it takes its time. And it surprises, I think. I mean, it is it is it is such it is a so much more even handed look at Appalachian snake handlers mm-hmm. than I would have expected. Yeah, because it could easily fall into just condescending to these religious beliefs. Oh my God! Yeah, and not just of snake handlers, but but then by extension, any religious beliefs that that uh, one group of people finds mm-hmm. you know uh, less than others. Um, but the writers and directors, uh, a pair, Britt Poulton and Dan Madison Savage. I really like the first two acts of this movie a little bit better than the third. Everything is well done. It's well put together. The cast is good. And as they take us into, I really like the, the, the rustic set design, production design, as they take us inside this small community in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. And they are led by Walton Goggins. Yes. Huh? Nice to see He's Wal- great. Yeah, he really is. And he's the pastor. And uh, things, most of the events center around... His daughter, Mara, and uh, she is played by Alice Englert, and her attention is starting to move away from the mountain, let's mm-hmm. say, a little bit. And that has caught the eye from the ever-suspicious Sister Slaughter, yeah. who is played by the Olivia glorious. Coleman. That's right. Who just Oscar won, winner, won Olivia the Oscar Coleman. for the favorite. So she's kind of got the her, her antenna up that maybe uh, Mara needs a little bit more of a, an eye to mm-hmm. keep her in the fold, yeah. let's so to speak. Yeah. So uh, it's definitely about tests of faith. It's about, you know, l- people... It's, well, it's them that follow. Why do they follow? Yeah. Why do people, even in the face of following a way of life that makes them outcasts and that possibly will do them harm yeah. to themselves yeah. and their loved ones, why will then they cling even tighter mm-hmm. 
when people point that out to them. And boy, that has a lot of timely applications right now. It does. You know what? I think that the movie does right in in a way that I've rarely seen is that it it doesn't look at this in a condescending outsider's perspective. It would not surprise me if one or both of the writer-directors had some experience in a community like this because it's it's very compassionate. It is. I think authentic feeling in a way that I was just not expecting. I agree. And it's it's a good ensemble cast, also including Caitlin Deaver. She's everywhere as well. She is, yeah. She plays Mara's best friend. A very different character than the one you'll find in Booksmart. Uh, Very, very different. (laughs) And also a very different role for Jim Gaffigan. Yes. Comic Jim Gaffigan. He was very good, too. Very good. He was awful good. He plays Sister Slaughter's husband. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he, yeah, would that he, make him Brother Slaughter? I guess he would. I guess it would. Brother Slaughter, uh, and just a, a collection of people that maybe you've, you know, you've seen their faces, don't quite know their names. Thomas Mann. Oh yeah, he he's, plays Augie, the yeah, love interest. He's kind he's, of a, he's kind of an outsider. He was in the fold, and now as he's becoming a young man, he's moved outside the fold, and maybe he's coming back. So everybody's really good, and I, I do, I do like the setup. My only problem with the movie is when it, and I think it was more of a problem for me than you. Mm-hmm. When it resolved itself, it just seemed a little too tidy. Yeah, that's what you said. I, I mean, I, I think I agree with you, just maybe not as strongly as you do. I, I, I felt like um, it was a fitting end, a necessary end. Uh, I liked the way it came together, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's cer- just an impressive film. Yeah, it certainly didn't sink the movie for me at all. I still would recommend it, but just of the of, of what's set up by the first two acts, for me, the third the third act just seemed a little too convenient. But you're right, everything about it is crafted well and mm-hmm. acted well, mm-hmm. and I'll definitely look be on the lookout for these two, Britt Poulton and Dan Madison Savage, uh, after this one, Them That Follow. Also this week, a football player's dreams to play in the NFL are halted when he is wrongly convicted and sent to prison. Years later, he fights to clear his name within an unjust system. It's Brian Banks. Brian Banks was 16 years old when he was accused of a crime he did not commit. He lost 11 years scholarship, he was prevented from playing football. The system is broken. We have 10 months to clear his name. If in that time they do not overturn your conviction, you'll be a prisoner again. I need something big, something extraordinary. Yeah. It's extraordinary that I'm still here. I am innocent, and the truth matters. This was one that was reviewed for us by Brandon Thomas, one of our writers at MadWolf.com, and he was less than impressed. Yeah, I think that he thought that there was really something here and that Aldous Hodge in particular did a very nice job of of bringing a little layer, a little nuance to the film, which on the whole lacked yeah. just that. Aldous Hodge is another guy that you probably know his face, might not know his name. He played MC Wren. Another straight-out-of-Compton yeah, alum. Yeah, straight-out-of-Compton. He was also with Hidden Figures, so you'd probably know him. Definitely very talented. You also got Greg Kinnear in this movie and uh, Sherry Shepard. And it's just it's another film directed by Tom Shadiak. And this this is the kind of stuff that he does. Uh, it's just outwardly uh, hopeful. You know, he did, uh, he did that, oh, that just terrible documentary, I Am, years ago. Uh, he did Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, things like that. Usually his projects don't have a lot of substance no. to them. All superficial. Yeah, which which makes this a weird choice for him, right? Because um, because it is a true story and because it probably deserved, well, it did. It deserved more nuance and depth. It's, um, it's uh, kind of a made-for-TV type thing, right? They don't really dig into the American criminal justice system. They don't really dig into this character. He's He's pretty one-dimensional as much as the, the actor gives him a little bit of flavor. You, he's he's all hero, you yeah. know? 
It's definitely there are definitely serious questions to be raised here. Absolutely, but it just doesn't go deep on any of them. No. Uh, so really, not too impressed by Brian Banks. A documentary out this week in limited release: the story of Tracy Edwards, a 24-year-old cook on charter boats who became the skipper of the first ever all-female crew to enter the Whitbread round-the-world race in 1989. This documentary is called Maiden. The Whitbread round-the-world race at 33,000 miles is the longest and most challenging on Earth. I wanted to be part of this. I remember going to the skipper and he went, we're not going to be the only racing team in the world, but a girl. And that's when I made the decision to put an all-female crew into the race. It was brilliant. Just completely overwhelming. <laughs> what if I tell you about a young girl who had a dream about sailing around the world? What if I tell you that it did happen? This was a fascinating documentary. I loved the way that it was structured. So you start by talking to Tracy Edwards, the skipper, you know, modern day and looking back at it. And the thing is that it doesn't give you any sense of whether they they survived yeah. all of them, you know, like yeah. whether they made it, whether they finished. And I love that because I didn't know. And so it was very interesting the way that, that the film is set up. Uh, and and the other thing that I really loved is they, they talk a great deal. They show a lot of how it was treated in the media when this all-female crew entered this uh, round-the-world yacht race. And they even have several of the journalists who said nasty things on that. camera. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, not, and, you know, some of them were not really willing to eat crow. They're like, well, of course I said that. They were ladies. They were girls. And I love the way that that is built up so that you have a sense of really how little people respected the notion of a, a whole crew of female sailors. Yeah, this is director Alex Holmes uh, taking this story. And I liked it, too. I like stories like this when you can get the perspective of uh, the, the older person yeah. now looking back. Yeah. That's one of the parts I loved about the Jane Goodall documentary from a couple of years yeah. ago. When you can see them now with the wisdom that they've learned, looking back on while they were earning that wisdom. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I loved about this, too, is that as much as it's clear that everybody outside that boat saw this as a gimmick, and really no one, literally no one, outside the boat thought they could finish the race but on the boat when they didn't win a leg of the race because there are multiple legs in this race they were crushed uh -huh. they were 100 percent focused just as i'm sure as everybody on every other boat was only on winning this race and it's such a nice uh distraction because none of them were uh worried for a second that they that they couldn't do it. It didn't occur to any of them that they couldn't do it. Right. And um, and the way that then the cultural context shifts by the end of the film, uh, it's just really a well developed. It's a fascinating story. And yeah. the and the the women from the boat, the ones who are speaking, they're hilarious. They have just really <laughs> and they're very smart and they're very interesting. So all told, and of course there's also I was a little surprised by how much footage from the yacht during the race there was, which I thought was very interesting, too. Yeah. So if you like this one, uh, let me just give a quick plug to a, a similar movie from 2013, a documentary I liked a lot called Maiden Trip. And that tells the story of a 14-year-old girl who set out on a two-year voyage uh, to become the youngest person to ever sail around the world alone. 14 years old. Yes. So if you like Maiden, check out Maiden Trip. I think you'll like that one as well. So let's go to the lobby. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.
First off in the lobby, we've talked about this a few times. Seems like it anyway. Uh, Amazing Grace, the Aretha Franklin documentary of when she recorded her legendary gospel album uh, live in 1972. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's one of the best movies of the year. See it. Hear it. Hear it. Enjoy it. And it, it, even if you can't make it to church, this will give you credit. It'll give you credit for a uh, time at church. Just just fantastic. One of the best of the year. Also, one of the best of the year is out this week, The Souvenir. Yeah, this is a really lovely, small, independent film. Very reflective of, of the artist process of sort of uh, a forgiving look at the filmmaker's own past. And wow, what a bunch of really great performances. Just uh, an impressive film all the way around. Yeah, including the lead performance by Tilda Swinton's daughter. Yes. Uh, Honor Swinton Byrne. And Tilda Swinton's in it, too, playing yeah. her mother. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, definitely talent runs in the family because she's great. It, yeah, it's it's just painfully, uh, achingly honest Yes. Uh, about about what she went through in her life. And it, it, mix, it mixes... Her lessons on love and life, and also her thoughts on filmmaking. Her, the, the filmmaker, the filmmaker Joanna Hogg. Yeah, it also mixes with her thoughts on filmmaking and how the two complement each other. It's fascinating. We loved it. Tolkien is out this week. It's the story of J.R.R., the uh, Lord of the Rings author, uh, played by Nicholas Holt. Mm-hmm. He is the lead here. It's it's perfectly fine. It's it's so reverential and informative. It's just not very enlightening. Right. That's all. Yeah. Um, you know, as you know, I'm not a big fan no. of the Tolkien, but I know a lot of people are. Yeah. So you might want to check it out just because you're a fan. But you, you probably won't be much enlightened about his life, but you certainly may learn something. And it's it's very respectful. Right. Uh, and, and and admiring of the subject, which right. which feels right. Just it's just not really deep. Pokemon Detective Pikachu hits home video this week. Better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Tell you what, it was better than I. I thought it was going to be uh, It Loves the Pokemon. It's funny. We talked about how our son was at an age where we missed Dora. Well, we did not miss Pokemon. No, we did not. <laughs> we surely didn't. And that, and and I felt at an advantage because when they made little inside jokes, I was, you know, like, oh, Mr. Mime, he's the worst. I'm looking around. He is the worst, isn't he? <laughs> Mr. Mime is terrible. Is. So it is. It's, it's full of little inside jokes for Pokemon fans. It's also not a bad story, and it looks good, and Ryan yeah. Reynolds is hilarious. So it's, you know, it's better than I thought. There you go. A creepy film out this week, The Curse of La Llorona. Yeah, you know, and this is not a great movie. It's it's kind of tangentially in the Conjuring universe. Um, it's got some creepy effects. It's not great. It's not bad. It's, you know, it's not bad for a scare. And Palms, the latest Let's Have Fun with Old People yeah, movie. Yeah, it's not good. No, they, they want to go and be cheerleaders again. Why? God help we us. don't know, but no. Next week, I'll tell you what, we're already loving the movie Good Boys. Yep. It's it's the latest Seth Rogen, and it's it's got the young kids. Jacob Tremblay and his friends, uh, it's with an R-rated movie, and they get to be foul-mouthed and everything. But anyway, they made a recent little—it's not a trailer, really. It's a promo about these young kids trying to get in to see their own movie. And in the course of this little promo, they mentioned our critics group. The, the Central Ohio Film Critics Association. Now, since then, we've changed the name to the Columbus Film Critics Association. But they name drop us. They do. And it's hilarious. Oh, my God. It's so, so funny. So if you can find it on YouTube, uh, we get a little name check there. So we're looking forward to that next week. Also, Blinded by the Light. Bruce. We We happen to be looking forward to because we are both massive Bruce Springsteen fans. Really looking forward to talking about that one. And not so much the Angry Birds movie, too. <laughs> That comes in uh, at the tail end. So we'll see how that is, too. So until then, let us know what you thought about any of these. A lot to talk about this week. Uh, So hit us up, as always. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. That's the easiest way. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the good old main website with all our written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie-only podcast, Fright Club. 
You can find all that at madwolf.com. And we always appreciate you dropping by the screening room. No matter where it is you're listening, if you would take a second to subscribe, rate, and review, we would really appreciate it. And we wanted to let Omar know. Omar specifically requested that we cover the film Loose because he wants to know whether or not he's going to pay to see it. And I just wanted to let him know we will be screening that film. Yay! Okay, thank you, Omar. So until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.